All right. Well, good morning. Do you have your Bibles with you today? Do you have your notebooks with you today? You know, if you do not have a Bible or a notebook, we're providing them free of charge uh, on our, there's a table over here, there's a table in the back. You can go get a Bible, you can go get a notebook and keep the Bible. It's a gift from us to you. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible. Amen. It's important to us that you can go ahead and take some notes and let the Lord speak to you throughout the service. I want to talk to you today, if you're taking notes, about the space-time continuum. I want to talk to you how, if you notice throughout the video there, there was portions where Marty, he was disappearing. His brother disappeared, then his sister disappeared, and eventually Marty, the main character, started to disappear. And in the context of the movie, everything was connected to create that future that Marty was trying to get back to, that, that was in Marty's heart. And if he did everything the way he was called or meant to do it, the right time, things needed to happen. There were certain appointments that had to take place. His mom and dad had to meet. His mom and dad had to fall in love. They had to go to this fish under the sea dance. They had to do what had to be done in order to create that future. And so today is about moving forward, continuing to allow God to bring you divine appointments and allowing yourself to let go of current circumstances, disappointments, situations, whatever might have you stuck. This whole series has been about moving you back into that future. And here's why. God has some great things and some great assignments and some great solutions to problems in this world that he's anointed you to bring to the earth. And there is future that is linked to your obedience today. And we also have to believe that if we don't decide to move forward, if we stay stuck, if we stay offended, if we stay hurt, if we stay worried and anxious, if we stop engaging in the call of God in our life, that we are going to lose. There are going to be things the world misses out on, your family misses out on, that you miss out on, that won't be there. They will literally disappear from the future because we didn't move forward today. Do you understand that? All right, Heavenly Father, I ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear as we open your word today. Link our heart to your heart. Do a divine, spiritual, deep work in us. And I pray that your word, we know it's anointed. We pray that we're anointed to hear it and to become what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go and start with this, Ephesians chapter 2. If you're new to your Bible, the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. So these are letters written to people. I think that's always important to keep in mind. Sometimes we think, oh, he wrote them to the church, and we, we, we get this mindset that the church is a building. Even when we say that God is speaking to Calvary, God is not speaking to our building. He is speaking to us individually. Amen. And so today I believe God is speaking to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Have you found it in your Bibles? All right, here we go. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Can we say amen there? God saved you from sin. God saved you from hell. God saved you unto a calling when you believed. I love that. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. That's the portion I want to highlight today. God has good things that he's planned for you to do and accomplish that he purposed in you coming. There's ideas, there's plans, there's solutions, there's purpose in you coming that he has planned for you to do so long ago. 
And that's for every single one of us. And I love this, that our motivation in obeying God and our motivation in living for God is not to get Him to love us. It's in response to the fact that He's already loved us. It's not to earn our salvation. Your destiny, your calling, even your choice to move forward, you know, back into the future, this is not about you earning your way into heaven. I better get to work or I'm not going to make it to heaven. You've given your life to Jesus. You were saved when you believed. But God has a plan and purpose for our lives. When He saved us, it wasn't just to get you to heaven. He saved you to a calling. He saved you to a plan and a purpose that He has in His mind for you. Amen. And I love that word masterpiece, that you are His masterpiece. God is the artist. I love that. You're His masterpiece. He's working on you. And He who's begun a good work in you, He will be faithful to complete it. So today I want to get us in that, that vision that there is purpose in your future. There is destiny in your future. There's more to come in your future that God has called you and designed for you. So today, before I begin unpacking that, I want to talk to you about the anointing. I'm going to bring these things together, but I want to talk to you about the anointing of God. Write this down in your notes. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And all of this is bringing us to your future. When I prepare, when I pray for you, when I lead in service here, I don't preach sermons. I hope in your heart it doesn't resonate as another sermon. Going to church to hear a sermon. What I believe is that when our hearts are open and I study and I hear God, that God has a speaking word for you today. That's what I believe. And I believe it's done unto me according to my faith. I believe that today is a now word for you. I believe that there's something called the anointing of God still that operates in the earth, that operates when you hear the word of God. What is the anointing? I'm glad you asked. I'm about to tell you. The anointing is God's ability, God's spirit's power coming upon a man or woman to accomplish what they can't do in their own natural tendency, their own natural talent and ability. The anointing does something in the unseen, breaking yokes and chains and opening prison doors. And the anointing of God is the power of God transforming a person from the inside out and can even change and transform their body and heal them instantaneously. We still believe in the anointed power of God. Can I get an amen on that? So when I hear the word and I preach the word and I pray as you prepare yourself to receive the word, that you don't just listen to it like, I got to listen to this guy talk. It's just a bunch of words. I, I don't like it when people make fun of sermons, like, oh, those preachers going on and on and on. Well, if the preacher is connected to the spirit of God, then it's a constant flow of life. It's a constant flow of revelation. And God is doing something through that. But if you just see it as a bunch of words and this like enduring the message, then again, be it done unto you according to your faith. But if you come with a heart that says, God is speaking to me, and then with that word comes the power to perform what is inside of that word, then God can do miraculous things in a service. Miraculous things in a service. I wasn't going to share this. I'm just going to go with this. I'm telling you, my friends, in the middle of a service, God can absolutely transform physical situations. I had a, a gentleman in our previous church who had shut down his company. He had released all of his employees. They were two weeks away from bankruptcy. But he came to the house of God for an evening service. And he heard the word of the Lord during the message. And he came and received prayer of agreement at the end of service. And within two weeks, a company that was supposed to be bankrupt, he received a $1 billion contract. Okay, supernatural, out of God's, just out of out of the miracle world of God, right? And he had to hire all those people back 
And within like a year, he had written a church, the, lar- the church, the largest tithe check we'd ever seen. Why do I say that? It's because in that service and in him hearing the Word of God and him responding to the Word of God, God was able to do a miraculous thing. I was not preaching on supernatural abundance that day. I was not preaching on companies not going bankrupt that day. But here's the thing. When God's Word is going forward and the anointing is working in the room, you pull out of that anointing what you need for that day. This is a supernatural relationship going on right now. That's why you can see this is not a sermon. This is communication. This is God's Spirit moving. So it's not about performance either. Oh, the pastor's sermon was so much better last week than this week. There's not rating a sermon here, people. This is hearing and picking up what God is saying today. Amen. Amen. And so today, if you need to pull something from that anointing, you need something to pull something, you know, out of the Spirit. But, you know, let me talk about the anointing, why I'm talking about today, is I believe there's an anointing upon today's message to move you from a place of being stuck, to move you from a place of bitterness, to move you from a place of stunted spiritual growth, to move you from a place of bondage, to move you into a place of freedom. And the Word of God has to go first. The Word of God has the power to perform what it is saying. There is a power within it, like a capsule, like a medicine capsule. The the, the Word that I am preaching contains the medicine on the inside to produce what it's being sent to produce. Does that make sense? So Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus was asked to speak at the synagogue. He, He went to the synagogue, as was his custom, the Bible says, and he was asked to read from the scrolls. He was handed the book of Isaiah, the Bible says. And then it goes on to say, and he found the place where it was written. Why would Jesus, why would the Bible tell us he found the place where it was written? Because he had a specific word he wanted to tell the congregation today. Out of the entire book of Isaiah, the Holy Spirit led him to say something very specific, and this is what he wanted the synagogue to know. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, which is the good news, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus wanted them to know that what he was saying had an anointing in it, that he was anointed. There was an empowerment. There was God's spirit and ability upon him to set captives free today when he was ready to preach. He's like, basically, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Basically, if you're in captivity today, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring you out of captivity. If you, were, if you have blinders on your eyes today, the spirit, the unseen power of God is upon me to remove those blinders so that you can see again. If you're living in a place of oppression, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to remove that oppression so that that heaviness won't weigh you down and you can run your race that God has called you to run. And so before I get into the space-time continuum and I begin to, you know, share with you more and more about how you're called and there's a destiny and there's plans, the, the master designer, uh, the masterpiece that you're being created into, that God has a plan and things that he's called you to do, saved by grace unto good works that he called for you, called for you to do. Before I get you into that, I want you to know that if you're stuck today, if you're stuck in the present, these light momentary afflictions, if you're stuck in this COVID season, you can't get your head out of it, or beyond COVID, the other things we can get stuck in that have happened. You can get stuck in the present, but you can also get stuck in the past. You can get stuck with that, your spouse who walked out on you this year maybe or 10 years ago, and your life has not moved forward since that moment of pain and hurt and rejection. You can get stuck when you lost a job. 
You lost a job this year because of the economy. And if you're not careful, you can get stuck in that job loss and forget that that job loss does not cancel God's mission for your life. That job loss, that employer doesn't get to terminate your calling. Amen. Don't give them that much power. The good works that God has called you to do still need to be done. And if you don't move forward, if you don't move forward, you're, there's, a, there's a future that is disappearing from the earth. Is this making sense? And so today, I want you not to lean into me and not to put your confidence in Pastor Kevin's message, though it's awesome. I want you to put your confidence in the anointing the anointing of God's Word, the anointing of God's Spirit, God's plan to bring you here to hear this message right now, right in the middle of your season, right in the middle of your journey and in your crisis. Amen. So let's break that down just a little bit. This, this whole idea of the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to release the captives. I'm going to talk to you about that for a second. Now, when Jesus preached that, I believe he was talking on multiple levels about captives. Now, when you go through the story of Jesus or the life of Jesus in the four Gospels, we do not see him necessarily going into physical jails or prisons. And so when he's talking, maybe he did, but we don't see this consistent theme like he had this you know, robust prison ministry. So who is he talking to about preaching freedom to captives? Well, he's talking about people who are captive to the law, this law that could not be performed in your, in your natural strength. It was impossible to be perfect through the law. The law was meant to reveal and identify your shortcomings. You were, it was not meant to save you. It was meant to show you you needed a Savior. To set people free from the law, to set people free from the curse of the fall that happened and the curse that was on the earth from sin, from Adam and Eve's original sin. To set people free from the power of the devil because the, the, the fear of death kept people in life or kept people in bondage uh, throughout their entire life, torment and bondage. Jesus came to set captives free. So we remove ourselves from the idea of just prison ministry, although he might have preached to some, like I said, inmates or something like that. But Jesus came to preach release to those that were bound by the law, bound by the fear of death, preach freedom to the captives of all of us who were bound by sin, to let you know that sin no longer has dominion over you. Come on now. You know what? Even though we do still sin, I want you to always understand that we have the ability to say no to sin. Sin is not greater than God that is on the inside of us. Now, I get it. We've got to grow out of some things, and we learn maturity, and, and, and there's sometimes it's a journey. But if you ever think sin is impossible to get over, Jesus has already conquered sin and death. And in Jesus, you are greater than that sin. Sin no longer has… The Bible says, consider yourself dead to sin and sin dead to you, and you cannot tempt a dead man. Come on, my friend. Come on. And so re preach release to the captives, but beyond the law, beyond sin, beyond death, I also want to remind you that you can be captive to a moment where you're stuck in a moment of time, kind of like this Back to the Future movie where Marty was stuck in 1955. Are you stuck in a moment right now? I, I want you just to take a moment and consider that. Are you still living in the past? Are you still living in a moment of time that was traumatic? In that moment of time, that trauma has has captured you, and every time you try to run forward, you find yourself still living out of that moment, a loss, captive to a loss. I remember in 2008 when the economy went all weird. 
It's terrible. I remember when the stock market crashed and the housing market shut down and crashed, and I had, we were trying to build a sanctuary in the middle of that. Well, that's awesome, you know, in the middle of that. And I remember people who lost so much money in their retirement. You may be here today, and in 2008, you lost so much money. I remember my own parents lost a huge business that they were highly invested in, just like that. And I remember the, the difficult time, and I, I don't diminish and I don't poke fun at the, dimin- at, at the difficult time it is to let a loss go to where you're not always talking about the money you lost in 2008 when the economy crashed. Or it's not the first thing that comes out or the first, because you know when, when something really hurts or you're stuck somewhere, you, you, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak, right? And so it's always right there on the surface, that loss, the loss of finance, the loss of a job, the loss of a partner, the loss of, you know, who knows what, a disappointment. To preach freedom to the captives, who are captive to a moment in time, captive to a loss, captive to a disappointment, captive to an old season, an old season in the church that God had here that was a beautiful time, but it doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's, it's back there. And God is doing something else right now. And we can't always want God to go back and do something over again. We want what God wants for today and right now. And God, sometimes, and I, I, I say this very humbly, and I say this with a lot of compassion, those were good seasons, and I'm not saying that those seasons don't have value. They do. And by embracing a new season doesn't mean that we're disrespecting that old season or saying that it wasn't important or wasn't valuable. But if we're not careful by trying to bring something back from the past into the present, thinking that's something good, we might destroy the very new thing that God wants to create in our life because we're always comparing it and binding it to its past. You know, God is, is um, infinitely creative, infinitely wise and amazing. He doesn't have to repeat himself <laughs> to have pro- productive ministry. Amen? Whatever that was in the past, that was new then. And God hasn't run out of ideas. And God hasn't run out of ways and tools and methods to bring harvest in the here and now. Are you saying that? And so, again, we want to be excited and looking toward God's future for our lives. But I'm here today to preach release to you, not to look at you and say, hey, get over it, or hey, that didn't matter, or that wound. Like I said, you might have lost a loved one, you might have lost something. It's not about me saying, hey, just move on. I'm saying that the Spirit of God, the anointing of God today, can open that prison door. But you have to still make a choice to step out. The anointing is in the room to unlock you from that loss, to unlock you from that pain, to unlock you from that grief, to unlock you from that disappointment. But will you take that step of faith to say, today say, God, I'm going to step out of agreement with that hurt. I'm going to step out of agreement with that loss. I'm ready to let it go, and I'm ready to move forward into the future you have for my life. The Spirit of God is here to do it. And I'm not all spooky right now. Look, I'm not even talking with a breathy tone. <laughs> but the anointing is here. God, I know by, by a peace and assurance in my heart, I know by the assurance of the Word of God, the Spirit of the Lord is upon this service to preach release to the captive so you can move forward into the future 
that has to happen, that God has designed for your life, but you still have to partner with Him to see it happen. Recovery of sight to the blind. Sometimes we go through a great loss. Sometimes we go through a hurt or a disappointment. How many of you know we can lose our vision? Did Jesus pray for the blind? Absolutely. He would, you know, spit in the dirt and put mud in their eyes and all kinds of, you know, great miracles with healing the blind. But I also believe there is an anointing, there is an empowerment for our spiritual eyes to be able to see again. You know, the Bible talks about when the Holy Spirit would come upon men and women in the last days, He would pour out a Spirit upon all flesh. Your young men would see visions, your old men would dream dreams. I, I believe there's an anointing for us to see again. There's an anointing for us to dream again. There's an anointing for us to regain vision over our lives, that when the Holy Spirit moves into your life, one of the anointings in the Spirit, one of the power in the Spirit is to give you a sense of hope and expectation again, where you had given up. You gave up on your family. You gave up on your children. You gave up on your finances. You gave up on your church. You gave up on your city. You gave up. That's where the devil wants you, to let go of hope, to lose all hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and if you can't hope for something, then your faith has nowhere to land. The devil tries to kill your hope all the time. But I'm telling you today that the Spirit of the Lord is in this room to restore recovery of sight to the blind. The way you see the earth, the way you see church, the way you see the future, where you look at it with negative eyes and you look at it with just, you know, torment and fear and all, the, 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 the Lord today can come and remove the scales from your eyes to see that there's more with you than there are against that you're surrounded by the angelic heavenly host. You remember that story in the Old Testament? That the Holy Spirit is with you, that God isn't done with the earth, that God isn't done with the church, that God isn't done with you, and he's not done with your family line, and he's not done with your finances, and he's not done with your healing, and he's not done with your marriage, and he's not done, he's not done, he's not done. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so today there's a spiritual anointing in the room, an empowerment of God for recovery of sight to the blind. God, help me see again. Help me to have vision again. And then freedom to the oppressed. It's one thing I've noticed in communicating, talking with people you can see on social media is just this oppression that has settled in, this heaviness that has settled into people's conversation. It's settled into the way they look at the world. It's settled in to their home and there's just like this gloom and this cloud. But you know what? there's an anointing to remove that gloom in that cloud. There's an anointing to remove that oppression. Maybe you've been walking around just, just with a heaviness on you, and God wants you to be able to lighten that load and cast those cares upon Him. And today you walk out, maybe the world hasn't changed, but you have changed as you go back into the world. And that oppression is broken off, to you by, off of you by the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. So we're gonna move into now just a story. Just a biblical story, short illustration in the Old Testament talking to us about the need to progress to the future, to progress into the next steps and the calling that God has for us and, and moving past disappointment, moving past loss. And it's found in the book of Ruth. Can you go back to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament? The book of Ruth comes right after the book of Judges in your Old Testament Bible. Let me just explain the story of Ruth to you. And we can see why it's important that one step connects to the next step, connects to the next step. As God is bringing you into the future that he has planned for you and 
what happens if you would have stopped somewhere along the line? What would happen if you didn't do what you were called to do in this next step? You would see the future. The future that God had intended for you would literally disappear. The book of Ruth is about a family, a lady named Naomi, her husband, two sons. They move from Israel to Moab, which is a different area, because there was a famine in the land of Israel. And while they're there, Naomi's husband dies. Her sons marry uh, a lady, a piece, each of them marry someone. And then a little later on, after her husband, Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die, which are the husband of, uh, one husband was of Ruth and, and then of her sister-in-law, Orpah, I think her name was. And now Naomi hears that Israel has gotten through the famine and it, they can go back. And she's saying to herself, I do not want to stay here. I need to go back to my people. I need to go back to my relatives and start over. And so she looks at her daughter-in-laws, who both their sons or both of their husbands had died and they had no children with them. Both their husbands had died. She says, now go back to Moab. Go back because they were, they were from there. Go back and start new lives here. I'm going back to Israel. And the, both daughter-in-laws initially were like, no, 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 we're going to go with you. And she's like, no, no, I mean it. I can't bear any more sons and they'd be too young for you anyways and all that kind of stuff. And so the one sister-in-law goes back, but Ruth says, I'm committed to you, Naomi, and I'm going to go with you back to Israel. And I'm going to break this down just a little bit. So they go back to Israel and while they're there, Ruth starts working to provide food for her, her and Naomi and she works in this field. It ends up being a relative of the family. His name is Boaz. And so Boaz sees Ruth. She really catches his eye. And he begins to then do what's called the process of being the kinsman redeemer, which is where he could kind of bring Naomi and Ruth into his family and kind of have sons and children with Ruth in kind of the name of Naomi's family. So it's a beautiful story of, of redemption. And so Ruth and Boaz end up getting married. They end up having a child. And, and we'll get into all that in just a second. So we've got a lot to do in the next 14 minutes. Can you, can you bear with me? Yeah. All right, do I have your permission to keep going? Yeah. Wonderful. I was going to do it anyway, but it's always polite to ask. So in Ruth chapter 1, go to Ruth chapter 1. In Ruth chapter 1, so I'm telling you the story about the sons that died and now Naomi's going back. A couple key thoughts that you can pick up in this story of Ruth as God is continually, continually pressing Ruth into a future, pressing her into something, leading her into a future that he would have for her and her family. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 7, it's a key line here. The Bible says that with the two daughter-in-laws, talking about Naomi, with the two daughter-in-laws, she set out from the place she had been living. I want you to write that in your notes because that's a key thought. It's a key action that kept progressing Naomi and Ruth into the next phase of their life. They went forth out of the place from where they were. They were willing to move. And that's part of, the, though the anointing is here today to help you move, it's still a decision today for all of us to make a decision to set out from the place you currently are, to make a decision that where I am right now is not where I want to stay. This hurt, this loss, this moment in time, this disappointment, the loss, see, with Ruth or with Naomi, it was a loss of her husband, loss of her sons. For Ruth, it was loss of her husband. And it had to be, are you willing to move? Because God wasn't going to make Naomi and Ruth move. 
He was putting it in their heart to move. He was going to assist them to move. But are you ready? Are you willing today to purpose in your heart to go forth from the place where you've been? Identify that where you've been, I'm going to use this kind of progressive model here, like this is where you are right now in your journey. And in this moment, you experience tremendous loss, tremendous hurt, pain. Maybe people gossiped about you. They stabbed you in the back. They cheated on you. I don't know. But unless we, first of all, identify that this isn't where I want to be anymore, identify where you are and that this is not where I want to be. But then you make a decision. I am ready to go forth from the place where I've been. I know I'm not hyping this up right now. I could get my handkerchief out and spit all over you. But this isn't about emotion right now. This is about you identifying the place you've been. Is that where you want to stay? The devil can't keep you there, by the way. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? The devil cannot keep you here. The anointing of God will go with you and give you the victory to move from here, but you have to be willing to move from that loss, from that disappointment, from that hurt. The next verse I want to bring to your attention is found in Ruth chapter 1, going down to verse 16. And you'll notice what Ruth says to Naomi in verse 16. She says, Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I want to be there buried with you. What I like about Ruth in that is that, <laughs> that when they left from where they were, she didn't have all the answers and clarity about where they were going. She was just willing to leave this place. <laughs> I would love to promise you that, man, I, that tomorrow morning you'll wake up and it's going to look like awesome. Like your bank account's going to be full of money. Everybody's going to love you. Your job's going to come back. You're going to get a better job. All I'm saying in the very beginning of your journey back to the future, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conscious decision that I don't want to stay here anymore, and I'm willing to embrace a walk of faith. I'm willing to embrace a journey into a new season of my life that I don't necessarily have all the clarity and all the answers to. That's the thing with God. Sometimes it's easy to say yes when you have all the details, but you know, even when we left Illinois to come to Florida, there were a whole lot more question marks than there were periods. But we had to come to a place where we knew we weren't supposed to stay there in Illinois. And we had to set out. And, and that's where Ruth is saying here, she was willing to embrace a new future, an unknown and an unfamiliar future. Are you willing to embrace new things, new thoughts, new habits, new friends, new ideas? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to embrace new and unfamiliar? Because if you have to only, if you, if you can only embrace what you understand and what you know, you can't go on a journey with God. Does that make sense? If, if you can't embrace the unknown, if you can't embrace the new, if you can't embrace the unfamiliar, you cannot go on a journey with God. Because you're staying here because you know, even though this hurts and this is lost and this is limited and this is disappointing, it's familiar to you. And sometimes people are willing to stay here because it's familiar and in some words they think it's safe. 
and they're not willing to risk getting hurt again, getting involved again, getting back out there again. Come on now. Because they're, they think they're protecting themselves from here. Can you take a quick look all the way down and notice that there is something really special at the end of this journey? Now, here's, here's the, the, this key thought. Sometimes we want God to give us that thing here. And you're confessing it, and you're calling it into existence, and you're quoting Scripture, and you're getting people to agree with you in prayer. But there's only one way to get that future, and that's by being willing to let go of this present and start going into the new, the unfamiliar, she said, I, Ruth said, I'm going with you, Naomi. Your God will be my God. Do you understand? She's giving up her family gods. She's giving up her culture. She's giving up her own security. What did Ruth have to give up? Ruth didn't know what was going to happen in Israel. Ruth didn't know what it meant. She's giving up her entire future, trusting in Naomi and the God that Naomi serves. She's like, I'm with you. I'm going. I'm, I'm walking. Are you willing? Ruth chapter 2, but Ruth chapter 2. Are you getting anything out of this? Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. This is when Ruth starts working for Boaz, and she goes to gather wheat in the field. I want you to see this key point in here in verse 7. I'll start in verse verse 6. And the foreman replied, she's a young woman from Moab, because Boaz was asking about her who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. Listen to this. She has been hard at work ever since except a few minutes of rest in the shelter. Why do I bring that up? Because as much as it's time for you to to come out of agreement with the past or with your present hurt or pain and be ready to move from where you are, you have to be willing to open up again to new people, new relationships, new ideas, new habits, new learning, new concepts, maybe go back to school, who knows what, as God is calling you to continue on to the future. What I love in Ruth 2.7 was that she went to work. When you obey God and you begin progressing down this path and journey God has for you, it's not all just mystical, miraculous miracles show up. She went to work. She was about to receive a destiny and something really powerful because she was progressing. But there's this really interesting component here as God is calling you into your future, back to your future. There's a lot of work involved in personal growth, spiritual growth. There's work involved in that. Not work to be saved, but like getting up and praying when you don't want to pray. Reading your Bible when you don't want to read your Bible. Coming to church and submitting to the Word of God when it's not convenient or easy. Right? Forgiving people when you don't want to forgive and they don't deserve your forgiveness. There's work involved. Come on now. Hey, I'm Italian. Come on. And I'm not to insult other Italians, but I mean, I heard phrases growing up like, I'd rather spit on their grave than forgive you and forgive them. Like their goal in life was to outlive that person so they could say, I beat you and then they would die. Okay? I know what it means to hold a grudge in my family. And it takes work to, to not be like that. Is this making sense? Or you lost one company. You lost your job. You lost a company. You're you're willing to move from that loss. You're willing to try new things. 
But God's spirit and God's anointing is on you to build a new company, but it's a lot of work to build a new company. It's a lot of work to get a new business plan. It's a lot of work to hire new people and train new people or start a new job or a new career. You mean, man, it was just safer just to keep looking for what I already knew how to do, and, and now I'm having to learn new skills, computer skills and social media things and all kinds of, and it's so much work going back to school and learning again. But that's what I love about the story of Ruth is she is progressing on a journey, and there's this component of what caught Boaz's eye was the fact that she was working hard. There's work to be done in God's partnership with our life. There's, there's study to do. There's, there's real activity to be done. And even to, to fill this house and to see this church filled. By the way, my vision for this church, my, my dream of this church is not that it is filled once or twice over. My dream for this church is that it impacts the entire city of Orlando, the country, and the world. One of the... One of the results or one of the benefits of that is the house will be filled multiple times over. Amen? But you know what? Even to see that, that's going to take work. It's not just going to take making a decision and being willing to open new things. It's going to take us doing outreaches. It's going to take us knocking on some doors and meeting some new people. It's going to take us trying to create ministry that serves multi-international, you know, city. And it's going to take time and energy and, and, and maybe doing something that doesn't work the first time as a trial and error and figuring out a, another way to do it the second time. And that wasn't a waste of time because we learned something along the way. And we're not judging ourselves saying we're such failures because it didn't work. We're saying, hey, I learned how not to do it next time. Praise God. Are you following me? Isn't this good? She went to work. Building and creating what God has for us it takes work. And I love this. La this is my last, my last one I'll, I'll share with you, and then we'll bring it all together. In Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3, verse 3, something else that Ruth did. So now she catches Boaz's eye as she's working and stuff, and then Naomi hears that Boaz is kind of like thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, and, um, Naomi, knowing, she's like, hey, Ruth, you need to fix yourself up, right? Look at this, verse 3. I love the, just how the Bible puts all these things in here. She says, now I tell you, take a bath. <laughs> For some of you, that's your word today, right? <laughs> like, take a bath. Someone next to you is like, amen. Put on perfume. Mm-mm-mm. Dress in your nicest clothes. Well, can I get a witness? Then go back to the threshing floor. Don't let Boaz see you. And basically what she does is she, she goes and she just sleeps at Boaz's feet. Kind of like this, I guess culturally it was symbolic that, you know, she's offering herself to him for marriage or something like that. And traditions that I don't totally understand today, but I'm sure they were really important to them. But I wanted you to see that key thought there, that wash your face, put on some perfume, get dressed up. Now, as much as there's a practical side to that, like if you're going for a job interview, take a shower, put on some nice perfume, dress nice, things like that. But I think even spiritually speaking, this idea of making yourself attractive, you know what's not attractive? Bitterness. What's not attractive is negativity, critical spirit. Amen. Are you understanding this? 
It's like there's this component in going into this final phase or going into this receiving of the future of like taking off the grave clothes and putting on the new garments or taking off the, the mourning and putting on joy or taking off the unforgiveness and, you know, putting on, you know, kindness and generosity and hope. And are, are you understanding that? There's this idea of wash your face, wipe the tears away. It's time to, to wipe the tears from the past. Wipe them off your face. Don't let them become a part of your identity or you're carrying them all the time. Set those grave clothes aside. Set those clothes of mourning aside. Set those stains, you know, wipe your face off and wash up because it's a new day. It's a new time. And you're about to move into this next new thing, this future that God has for you. And there's this laying aside of, of kind of the stink of the past and the dirt of the journey and, and all that stuff. Are you understanding this illustration? All these are very practical things, but they're things that we've got to do. Because going into the next future, you walk into your next job. If, if you're constantly complaining about the loss of your last job or you're grieving over the loss of your last job, you're not going to engage and give your best in this current assignment. Or when you're, God's trying to introduce you to new people and you're so guarded or you're so hurt from the people that hurt you the last time, then you're going to make the new people pay for what the old people did. And you're going to bring that with you and cause the rejection rather than them rejecting you. And you're going to say, look, they rejected me again. Well, you brought that rejection with you. Are you understanding this? And so it's time to wash your face, to wash those tears, to change your clothes, to take a bath and put on some good smelly stuff. Amen. There's a Boaz in your future. There's a Boaz in your future. So Boaz was the owner of the land. And so what happens is he ends up marrying Ruth. Um, he ends up marrying Ruth, and they have a child. And Boaz becomes the father, and Ruth becomes the mother of Obed. And you're like, why is that supposed to be impressive to me, Pastor Kevin? Who in the world is Obed? I'm so glad you asked. Obed becomes the father of Jesse. Jesse becomes the father of King David. King David is the line of Jesus Christ. Did you see what just happened here? Ruth, the, the future that God had for Ruth. Come on. I, I wish my energy level somehow could carry this all the way through the room, but listen to me. For some reason, I have this calmness about me today, probably because if I got super excited, I'd talk too fast, and you wouldn't understand what I was saying. If Ruth wouldn't have been willing to leave the place where she was because she was so focused on the loss her job or her husband or whatever. Look what she was giving up. Being in the line of Jesus that saves the entire world. What's disappearing from your future because you refuse to move from the place where you've been? What are you giving up? Going into the next career because you're so mad that you lost the last career. Building a new friendship or a new relationship because you lost the last relationship. What are you giving up? You have no idea. You know what, what Ruth gained and created by moving forward was so much more than she had ever lost or left back there. 
If you could see, which God doesn't work this way a lot of times, but if you could see what God has for you in those good works that he's appointed you to be a part of and those good things that he's destined you to be a part of, if you could see from God's perspective, you would say it's, it's a no-brainer to, to be willing to move from there, to, to um, you know, start something that's unfamiliar and to, be, to go through the scary time and do the work because you're like, oh, there's this lineage of Jesus I get to be a part of. Yay! Ruth didn't know any of that. She just had to take a walk of faith to say, I'm done with living there. There's nothing more for me there. And I'm going to take a walk of faith with God. And look what God will do if you'll just let him keep moving you into the future he's designed and created for you. Amen. Remember what I said a minute ago. You can pray from over there as much as you want that God gives you this future there. It's not going to happen. This future is here. Let me layer it another way. I know that God has called us to be your pastors here at Calvary. God was not going to pick up this church and transplant you to Rockford, Illinois, which I'm sure you say thank God for that. <laughs> we had to be willing to move here. You have to be willing to come here. You have to be willing to make changes and obey God and, and, and move with the Lord. One final story in a practical, kind of more contemporary sense talking about hurt, and if you just keep moving forward, look what God will create. And it's the story of Walt Disney. It's kind of appropriate. We live in Orlando. Those of you who are probably familiar with the story, but you know Walt Disney had an original character that was his success. Anyone know the name? No, not, it wasn't Mortimer. That's different. It was before Mortimer. Oswald the rabbit. How many of you knew about Oswald the rabbit? Yeah, see, some of you know Oswald the rabbit. Oswald the rabbit was huge. I mean, he, they were making money. They were growing their business, all kinds of stuff. And then another unnamed company that I don't want to name because they're local here too, steals Oswald the rabbit. And Walt Disney not only steals Oswald the rabbit, but steals all of Walt Disney's animators. <laughs> Yikes! Talk about a disappointment. If you're making money, you've got your, your big idea, your big creation, your whole staff, and then someone comes in and steals it from me. How many of you know that that could be a bit of a disappointment? Anybody? Raise your hand. Come on, let's be honest. Would that disappoint you? You were making tons of money and someone steals your idea from you? Someone steals your staff from you? Oswald, or Oswald, Walt Disney could have stayed in just, that was my one shot. Oswald was my life's big break. Oswald was everything. I was hurt. I'm never going to animate again. I'm going to get out of that. I mean, it's just it's too painful to animate again. I can't trust employees. I can't trust the system. I'm, I am just going to sit here in my pain. Well, we have the benefit of knowing history. Now, tradition, I think, says that on the train ride back from that meeting that they took Oswald from him, Walt Disney begins to draw again on a napkin. I don't know if this is true. Sometimes it's just a great story. But somewhere we know Walt Disney began to draw again. Come on, my friend. Are you following me? And the very next character that Walt Disney draws is a little mouse. 
little mouse. Now, when they first were thinking about naming it, and we're going to name him Mortimer, but finally becomes Mickey. Mickey the Mouse. Can you just see that story unfold? What if he would have stopped way back there in that hurt? Think of the future. Guys, think of Orlando. If there would have been no Mickey Mouse. Now, I know Jesus is way more important, okay? I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But I'm just saying, can you just imagine Orlando without Mickey Mouse? California, even the, the entertainment industry in general. But because he was willing to move from where he was, from the loss of Oswald, because he was willing to try again and go into an unknown future, because he was willing to do the work, do the work of raising an entire new animation studio, training new animators, do the work even emotionally of trusting animators again and building this company again with the risk that, you know, what if somebody hurt him again? What if they did? But it's willing to take that risk and do the work. And he comes up with Mickey Mouse, like a multi, multi-billion dollar. <laughs> like, come on, Oswald, you got nothing on Mickey. I've often said, you ever hear people say, you know, it's a Mickey Mouse operation, you know, as if it's an insult? <laughs> Mickey Mouse makes billions of dollars. Like, I hope we have a Mickey Mouse. <laughs> like, like, how is that an insult? It's a Mickey Mouse operation. But that's the question today. Are you willing to move from the place where you were? Are you willing to go into the unknown? Are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to wash your face and let go of that identity or let go of that pain and embrace what God still has for you back to the future, back to your future? If you stay there, you are giving up something that's very real that would have been for you and your family here. You understand that? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.